Eunice and I are celebrating our one-year anniversary of having chicks. <laughs> it's right about one year. We didn't really celebrate that much. When I say chicks, I don't mean my five girls. I mean we, we actually have chicks, like little baby chicks. They're not babies anymore. It was a year ago they were babies. But uh, maybe a moral of the story is be careful who you are in life group with, who you, have fr you were friends with. I blame this on the Lawsons. And I blame this on the Zondervans. I don't know if they're around. Lawson's had chickens. Zondervans were getting chickens. My wife Eunice wanted chickens. I did not want chickens, so what did I do? I bought chickens. Yes, the secret to a happy marriage, right? Not chickens, but doing what your wife tells you to do. And so we went and bought chickens about a year ago. She was actually really sweet about it. She wasn't, you know, annoying me and pestering or anything like that. Eunice doesn't work that way. She's subtle. She's just like really sweet and nice until I start feeling guilty and then I go and do something. So one day I decided, you know, I'd do something nice for Eunice and went and got chickens. Went and got the girls, Eunice. We all went over to the family farm and home. And we, our intent was just to get, uh, was it six to eight chickens, I think is what we said. Six to eight chickens which is really all, we, did, we didn't need any more than that. And it was good because I didn't have a coop or anything made for them. So how many chickens could I get? We got to the store and the guy was like, oh, you got little kids that are going to be handling these chickens. You don't need six or eight. You need like 10 to 12. So we came home with 12 chickens, little baby chickens. Got them home. We didn't have anywhere to put them. So we put them in a little tub uh, down in our basement. And then they started stinking and jumping out everywhere. So we put them out in the garage, thanks to the Zonervans hooking us up with a little tub there. And uh, so anyways, we, we did the whole chicken thing. Finally, I built a coop, got them outside, and built a run for them after they ate all my hostas and destroyed my garden and everything else. I kind of started hating chickens there for a while. <laughs> but once I got them, once I kind of got them all together and it, it turned into an enjoyable experience, you know, once they started laying eggs and they did something beneficial for us, it's kind of nice. I, I just really enjoyed getting a lawn chair and sticking it in front of their pen, and I would just watch the chickens. Yes, I lead a boring life. This is what I do for fun. I sat there and watched my chickens, and, and it's incredible. I mean, the Bible says, observe the ants. I wear glasses now. It's harder for me to observe ants. So I observe chickens instead, a little more my size than I can tell. So I'm just sitting there watching, you know, the chickens, and they're just fascinating. I mean, how they, how they walk around, you know, all funny. You, those of you who have chickens, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I grew up, it's kind of like returning to my roots too, because I grew up on a chicken farm for the first five years of my life. They had big old chicken barns. It didn't have any chickens in it. But anyways, it was kind of like returning my roots a little bit. And, and so I was just sitting there watching the chickens. And this one day in particular, I remember the chickens just started fighting. I mean, they were squabbling and I mean, just really getting into it. And, uh, and so I'm just like, oh yeah, you know, a little more excitement in my day. I get to watch these chickens fighting. And, and when chickens fight, it's funny. I mean, just imagine your kids fighting, except they can't use their hands, and they're just jumping around there with their feet, and they're going like this with their faces, you know, with each other, trying to grab whatever they're trying to get. And so it's really amusing watching these chickens fight each other. They're just going at it, and I'm, I'm wondering, what is it that these chickens are fighting over? I mean, it's got to be a plump, juicy worm, because we put them where our garden used to be. It's like, they must have found like a nice worm or something that they're fighting over, or a frog or something like that. So I wanted to go in and see what the action was all about. And so I went into the pen, I went over there and looked in, and those chickens were fighting. I mean, this is what, like a free-for-all fighting, like the rough and tumble, like the, the peanuts, car, you know, the cartoons when they just see the, the dust ball going around. They were fighting over a tiny little white piece of like plasticky paper. That's what they were fighting over. 
And I was like, what on earth? It was, I ended up, when I was looking at it, it ended up being like the, the label on the side of this water heater that I got for the winter for them. They had pecked it off and gotten it off, and now they were fighting over it. My first thought was like, how incredible would that be if one of the chickens laid an egg with a UPC, you know, barcode on it? You know, wouldn't that be sweet? That'd be awesome. It'd be a great surprise. That would eBay for a lot of money, wouldn't it? And my second thought, though, is I'm just like, those are stupid chickens. Those stupid, stupid chickens. I mean, I can't say stupid enough times. It's like it's a, it's a piece of plastic. It's dumb. It's nutritionless. It is tasteless. I mean, there's really not a lot of value at all in that piece of plastic, other than one of them thought they had a prize, and all of a sudden, all of them saw the other one looking happy, thought it had a prize, and so they all started rushing that one chicken, fighting over that silly, stupid piece of plastic. I was like, stupid, stupid chickens. I'm sorry for saying stupid. I'm, sometimes I'm reminded by my kids that I'm not supposed to say stupid. <laughs> stupid chickens, though. And then I connected a dot. You probably do life sometimes the same way. I connected a dot, and I was like, oh, those stupid chickens are just like my kids. I'm sorry, girls. <laughs> those stupid chickens, my girls are just like those chickens. They fight over the stupidest things. I told them I was going to use them as an illustration this week, and so they're, they're, I think they're okay with it. They're okay with it. If you're not okay with it, you're grounded. <laughs> kids are just like those chickens. Uh, what was it? Uh, the other day they were fighting over a ticket. They made a little ticket to one of their shows, and they do amazing shows, not just in Simon Says tonight at 6 o'clock, but at home they do some little practice shows for us, and they had made some tickets for the show, and they were fighting over this, this little white piece of paper that said ticket on it. And, and uh, you know, I was like, why are you fighting over that? We're not rich, but we are paper and crayon rich. We can make all the tickets all day long that we wanted. And even though this was an awesome show that the girls were doing, it was not sold out. So I was like, I'm sure you can make more tickets. I'm sure we, there's enough tickets for everyone. And we can go and use all of our paper and all of our crayons and make all the tickets. But no, they wanted that one ticket. I was like, ah, oh, stupid chickens. Crazy girls. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, connect the dot, dot, dot. Then it's all of a sudden, it's like, oh, stupid me. I can say that about myself, right? You can say that about yourself if you want to. Stupid me. Don't you do that sometimes in church where uh, you're sitting in church and you hear God's word and you're like, oh, I wish this person was here right now. They really need to hear this. Do you ever do that? I don't think that's what God was thinking when he had you sitting in the, in, you know, the service listening to his word. I think the dots he's trying to connect is into each and every one of our hearts to take something to heart for ourselves. It is something that we need to learn or be affirmed in or be established in. Every, the, the line of dot should always lead God's word to penetrate our hearts. And so it took me a while, but it started penetrating me. And I was like, oh, stupid, stupid chickens, crazy girls, stupid me. I do the exact same thing. I do the exact same thing. I want you guys to be happy. I'm talking to graduates a little bit, but I think this, again, it connects with every one of our hearts at some level. I want our, our graduates to be happy. I want you to be happy. More importantly, I think God wants us to be happy. Before you fire me, kick me out, and tell me to go get me on my own televangelism show, you know, before you do that, let me qualify that statement. God wants you to be happy. 
But what we think is good and will make us happy is a lot like what those chickens thought was good and would make them happy. You got that? What we think is good and will make us happy is a lot like what those chickens, what my kids, what I think make us happy. Do you ever ponder the car commercials? I hate car commercials. I've never, I've kind of committed myself, never buy a car because I see a commercial trying to sell me one. I hate them. I despise them. Partly because they are, I mean, there's so many of them. The only thing that makes me more annoyed is the pharmaceutical commercials. I hate I hate the car commercials, though, because it's always like, a, you know, a young to middle-aged man or woman who's jumping in their car, and they're driving all around, and they're like, they're smiling, they're like, oh, you know, you know, zooming around the corners in the country, or zipping through the city, and I was like, I'd be smiling if I could drive through town like that without getting a ticket, too, you know, that'd be awesome. I lived in Chicago a while, and, and I saw all kinds of crazy cars, like the rich people cars, Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Corvettes, you know, just all kinds of crazy rich people cars. And it doesn't make, and this is, this is, I think, true for all of you guys. Have you ever just looked at people driving their cars? Have you just looked through the windows and seen people driving their cars? As they're driving around, it doesn't matter how expensive their car is. It doesn't matter the make or model or anything else. What do their faces look like? Turn to somebody next to you and look what their face looks like. Just what your faces look like now. Whenever somebody's driving, I know it too because I, I see people, I see you guys driving around town and I look at the window and I see you and you're like, you're just, you know what the face I'm talking about. That's what your face looks like. That's what your face looks like. The reason I mention this, again, is, is just like me watching the chickens Watching my kids, I think God is watching us and saying the same thing about us, isn't he? Oh, those silly children. Maybe God said stupid. He's God. He's allowed to do that. Stupid kids. They're so caught up in their, their little plastic pieces of shininess. They're fighting over them. And he's just shaking his head. as like, they won't be satisfied. There's no nutritional value. There's nothing at all of substance that you're going to get from that thing. There's nothing at all. In fact, all these things that we pursue, it's kind of funny. They can actually have quite the opposite effect in our lives. Some ways I think that we are stupider than the chickens. Because you know what? Chickens don't go in debt for that shiny piece of plastic. <laughs> do they? We do. Who's smarter? Write that one down in your notes. I read in Forbes.com that, this is encouraging for all you graduates, as soon as you become a tax-paying citizen, you are $154,000 in debt. Congratulations. We should get some little, little uh, diploma thingies with that on it. $154,000 in debt. Epitome of stupidity, isn't it? Now, just as a side note, I'm not sure what the chickens thought exactly but they must have thought that I was a big jerk when I went in that pen and I took that piece of shiny plastic away from them. Who does this guy think he is? Taking this shiny piece of plastic away, even though it couldn't have done, they got pretty strong guts, I know, but it couldn't have done good things for them. If nothing else, they, would have, they were going to kill each other, I think, fighting over this stupid piece of plastic. And I think sometimes we too mistake God's intentions in our lives when we don't get what we want when we don't get what we think will make us happy. 
Our seniors are at a big crossroads in life, aren't they? And all of us are too. And our happiness is at stake. People are dangling shiny things in front of us. You know the whole list. Occupations, education, nice house, nice car, big TVs, you know, whatever it is. And we like to think that when we have them, we will be happy. I was making up some stupid terms. I just had way too much time. I was like, what would this medical term be if, you know, to describe this condition? And I was like, I think I would call it um, wanteritis. Wanteritis. Inflammation of our wanter. I know. Maybe I didn't have enough time to think about it. Could have come up with something better. Theological term for it is broken wanterism or eology. I don't know. Our, our wanters are broken. Our wanters are broken. Everybody say broken wanters. Broken. All right, you got it stuck in your head now. Jeremiah 17:9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is the seat of our desire and our passions and our, our wants. Our heart is what? It's deceitful. Deceitful is, I mean, it's interesting. Our heart isn't just like accidentally trying to trip us up. You know, that's just like our heart is, you know, maybe has good intentions, but, you know, maybe leads us the wrong direction every once in a while. No, deceitful means our heart is actively trying to trick us. Actively trying. You know what a deep, deceitful child is like, parents, right? Or a deceitful friend. Someone who knows the truth, knows the right, but they're not trying to let you know that. They're trying to make you to do something very different that is not truthful related, that is manipulative. Our heart is trying to deceive us. And what is the level of deception that is trying to practice on us? It says, above all things. Above all things. Our heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? James 4 describes it this way. It says, your passions are at war within you. There's a battle going on inside of us. Do you see the problem here? This is one of my pet peeves, and, and I feel bad for our teens because they probably hear me talk about this a lot. But almost every graduation card and every graduation ceremony you go to, what will they tell you to do? What will they tell you to follow? Follow your why don't I call Mark movies, Eunice? <laughs> Follow your heart. Follow your heart. We're telling our kids, our teens, to follow a broken compass. Imagine me, you know, getting a group of Boy Scouts in here and getting ready to send them out into the wilderness. And right before I send them out in the wilderness, I get a compass. I throw it down on the ground. I go, here you go, kids. Good luck. That's what we're doing to our kids by telling them to follow their hearts. Their hearts are deceitful above all things. They're at war inside of us. And right now in particular, as we, you, know, you prepare to graduate, everyone's telling you that you can do anything, that you can be anything, you can have anything that you want. Just out of curiosity, how many of the older generation of here who have experienced life would say that that statement is true? How many of it has it been true for you? You can have anything, do anything, be anything that you want. Has that been true of anyone here? Raise your hand. We want to applaud you. That's an awkward clap, isn't it? No one? No. Should we give it a little longer? 
Maybe somebody's just counting, making sure they didn't leave it. I don't think anyone's in here that that statement is true of. And yet that's the statement that we tell all of our kids. The fallacy in that is immediately obvious because we look at it and we say, you know, we tell every kid coming up through elementary school, you could be the president one day. I was doing the math on this. I'm not very good at math. Pastor Brian will tell you that. I'm awful at math. Doing the math on this. There have only been, what, 45 presidents, right? 45? Got that part of my education, right? Right now, there are 47 million kids. There's been 47 presidents in the history of our nation. Just 47, and there are currently 47 million kids. And we're telling every single one of them that they could be president one day. Are we doing them justice? No. We're giving them a broken compass. We're telling them some, the lies that we've heard. We're just regurgitating them. We're giving them the same piece of shiny plastic that was handed to us. My point is, even if you could be anything or do anything or have anything that you have it all, everything that you've ever wanted, I'm here to tell you that having everything, doing anything, and being anyone will not necessarily make you happy. Sorry, this is downer, isn't it? Such a downer. It's not going to bring you happiness. There's a show on Fox. It's called The Last Man on Earth. I don't know if anybody, any of you saw that. Show Last Man on Earth. It was actually kind of funny starting off because this guy's the last man on earth. There was a virus that wiped everyone out except for him. This guy's named Phil. And he just like, what would you do being the last person on earth? He went and found like, he was driving around the nicest trucks and cars and living in these like sweet estates. I mean, he was just living it up. It didn't take a whole lot of episodes before it was kind of like, okay, how long can you just keep doing stupid stuff? He means blowing things up, everything like a guy would do if he was all by himself, you know, with there's no one there to, to stop him. He was just doing crazy stuff. But then it didn't take too many episodes until what happened? He was ready to commit suicide, even though he had everything, because something was missing. Going from the last man of earth all the way back to the first man of, on earth, a guy named Adam, God gave him everything. God told him to rule over the whole world. Amazing, just like Phil. God gave, you know, said the first day he created, it is good. Second day, it is good. Third day, it is good. Fourth day, it is good. Fifth day, it is good. Sixth day, it is good. It's all yours. First time that God said something wasn't good was when? when he looked at Adam and said, it is not good that you are alone. God created us for a relationship. God created us for a relationship with him and with each other. And I'm here to tell you that you could win the lottery, you could become president, you could win the Nobel Prize, you could be an Olympic gold medalist, you could win the voice, you could be pinky in the brain and finally rule over the whole entire world. And you would still be unhappy. You could gain the whole world and lose your soul. Isn't that crazy? Because your soul was designed for, everybody say it, relationship. Your soul was designed for relationship. Secret to happiness, secret to success. King David on his deathbed gave it to us simply. When he was on his deathbed, he called his son Solomon over to him. And he imparted his last words of wisdom unto Solomon. And he said, Solomon, 
show yourself a man. As soon as you hear that, you're like, what would King David tell his son Solomon to show himself a man? You know, this is going to be the secret. This is it. What's going to bring me happiness? What's going to make me success as a king and everything else in life? What's it going to be? And King David's reply is one of the coolest replies to that statement I think we could ever hear. He said, show yourself a man and obey the commands of the Lord. Obey the commands of the Lord. Obedience to God rubs us the wrong way. God summarizes all of the commands, as you well know, into two simple commands to make it easy for people who are from the South and simple. We need, we need things to be simplified for us. He simplified it and all the commands into two. Love God and love people. That's easy. Is it wrong for me as a father to want my kids to love me? Is it wrong of me as a father to want my kids to love each other? No. That's what it means to be a father. That's what God wants to us. He has created us for a relationship. And all the laws and commands in the Bible are boiled down into those two, love God and love people. And those two are really essentially one command because they're intrinsically connected. We cannot love God if we do not love people. God said, if you're my disciple, you will show them by your love, your love for each other. You cannot say you love me and not love others. You can't do that. If we love God, we will love others. Like my kids, they bring me, girls, y'all bring me some amazing like coloring gifts and stuff, you know, pictures that they make and, and crafts and things. But parents, you know what I'm talking about. When your kids, if they ever came up and said, what do you want? What can I give you that will make you happy, that will show you that I love you? And you say, just please just get along with each other. That's all I want, just for one day. That's it. Just maybe 30 minutes even. I mean, we'll, you know, lower the bar a little bit, just a little bit. Isn't that isn't that the epitome of our kids showing us love is when they love each other? Isn't that awesome? We can't love God unless we love each other. But on the vice versa side of things, it's also true. We cannot love people if we do not love God. We cannot love people if we do not God, love God. And the reason is, is that God is the greatest example, as you well know, of love. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter how close your friend or your family or people are in your life. At some point, they're going to do something that ticks you off and will separate you in your relationship. They will become your enemy. Isn't it true? Husband and wives, do you ever get ticked off at each other? How many divorces are going on because husband and wives get ticked off at each other? Fathers, sons, mothers, daughters... How many broken relationships happen there? People you're related to. Friends, ever get stabbed in the back? Doesn't take long. Here in the church, too. Sometimes we think we're exempt from it. We go to a church, we're like, that should never happen at church. It happens here, too. We can't love people unless we love God because God has given us the ultimate example of how to love our enemies how to forgive our enemies. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were fighting with each other, while we were fighting against God, in the midst of all of the sinful chaos of us fighting and over all of these shiny little plasticky things in our lives, Christ died to show us that people matter to God and people should matter to each other as well. Hope that's clear. 
I'm one minute over, and I'm going to use a couple of Pastor Tom's minutes that he got early a few weeks ago. <laughs> it evens out. I don't want to discourage you. I don't want you to think I'm dualistic where everything physical and material is bad, 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 and just like relationships is the only thing good. It is the ultimate good. But in reality, God made all those days of creation and said they are good, right? So I guess the question I want to like wrap up with is how can we redeem those materials, those things, those pursuits in life that people dangle in front of us and make us think that they're the most important thing? How can we seize hold of those and capture them into the context of relationship that God has built us for? That's the question. One of the, one of the commands in the Old Testament was do not steal. I think one of the reasons he did that is because stealing is relationally negative. As soon as you steal from someone, they lose trust and, the, you know, it just creates issues, it's problems. And a lot of times we think that if we just, you know, if, if we're focused on things and don't stealing things, then that's obviously bad. And if we just don't steal things, then, then we're okay, then we're good. And that's kind of what, that's the opposite of stealing, right? Uh, elementary students, we tell you, don't steal. In high school, we're like, uh, the opposite of that is we're like, don't steal. You need to work. You need to get a work ethic so you can earn whatever you have. My point is, God's connecting some dots for us here with material possessions. We're not supposed to steal, which is negative. We're not supposed to stop at getting a good worker ethic so we can just get all of our own things and it's just a relationally neutral kind of scenario. God has another step that he wants us to get to as mature Christians, as adult Christians. Get this verse in Ephesians 4.28. It says, let the thief no longer steal. That's negative relationally but rather let him labor doing honest work. Honest work, that's kind of relationally neutral. You're just earning your own stuff. Everybody's good. Is that where God stops? No. He brings another level to materialism that makes it all about relationships. And he says, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And this is the coolest thing. The opposite of stealing isn't working for what you have. The opposite of stealing is giving. Stealing robs relationships. Giving builds relationships. That's what God has called us to do. And so in your pursuit of possessions, you're not pursuing them for yourselves. In your pursuit of occupation, in your pursuit of, of wealth or money or fame or all this, whatever it is, those things aren't meant for you. Those things are meant to be a benefit to everyone. Sometimes I wonder, you know, just the economics of, of life. We're taught in America, everybody's... I, I got everything. I earned everything I have myself. That's kind of like the epitome of the American dream. I got it myself. Stand on my own two legs. But I'm just by myself. I'm on my own. I would much rather think that I'm not on my own. I'd rather every single one of you be for me and every single one of us be for you. That's God's economics. You're not alone. We don't want to stand on our two feet, own two feet. Adam and Eve did. Look where it got them. Relationally broken. God has made us for a relationship with God and with people. And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what in life you are doing. It doesn't matter what your occupation is or anything else. And I th just think about like single moms who are working like three or four, you know, minimum wage uh, paying jobs. And I've met some people like this and they're some of the happiest people I've ever met because they're not working those four, you know, those, those four minimum wage jobs for themselves. They're working those four minimum wage jobs to put their kids through college. Some of the happiest people I know. Some of the most unhappy people I know are also like people who are working at minimum wage jobs 
and they're just doing it for themselves. They're miserable. There's something beautiful that we look and see the redemptive value and quality of, of work when it stops being about us and that work and it starts becoming about other people. All of a sudden, the work, what we're doing doesn't matter. It's the relationships that matter. And a woman who is working for other people in those minimum wage jobs is someone to be commended and admired because she's working for others. Paul says the secret to commitment is in plenty or want is Christ and him crucified. Because in Christ, our relationship with God is made whole. And through Christ, our relationship with others can be made whole as well. Our soul is satisfied in and through him. I hope your soul is satisfied. God wants to satisfy your soul. 